Let's pray and let's get after it. Father, in the name of Jesus, this morning for your glory and for our joy, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you become teacher now. As you are, that you in this room would teach and instruct, that you would open eyes, that you would regenerate hearts, that you would grow into maturity those who are already in the faith. And I pray that you would rule your people well. We say to you, we acknowledge and welcome your presence and pray you to rule and gift and teach and do all that is necessary for the unity of the church and the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been studying through Ephesians, and as we're beginning to put the, the bow on the book of Ephesians, we come to this last section in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we're continuing the, the theme that Paul introduced in chapter 4, and that is walking worthy of this gospel, this glorious, powerful unifying gospel that takes people from all nations, people from all backgrounds, and brings them together in the church in a unified body. There's no longer Jew and Gentile, slave and free, but there's one body in Christ. And Paul begins to instruct in chapter 4 on how to walk in that beautiful, unifying gospel. And so walking worthy in the gospel, he ends the book of Ephesians by teaching us how to walk worthy by standing firm against the schemes of the devil. And so it doesn't make sense to rush through a section on spiritual warfare when it's loaded with what most of us in the West are unfamiliar with. It makes sense to slow down and plow through this with thoroughness in the belief that the Holy Spirit would teach and deepen our understanding of and ability to engage in this spiritual struggle. You guys know this. You've been here long enough. My mission is to never get through with anything, but simply to be thorough And so even if we do a verse a week, we will do a verse a week. We make plans. We schedule. There's an Excel spreadsheet that Adam has and and that that tells us where we're going to be each Sunday. But as you guys know, that is very much flexible. And so we'll work through at the speed the Lord would allow us. Because the mission is to teach and deepen our understanding of what we are being taught. Not simply get through. Notice I didn't say particularly experience. I emphasize teach and deepen. And here's why. I would dare say that all of us are experienced in spiritual warfare. Now, let me clarify. We just don't know we are. And I would say we're mostly victims of it rather than skillful warriors. A former intern of mine's name's Yannick Basabakwinshi. He's from Burundi. He grew up in the Rwandan genocide. And he well has personal memories of what we only know from the movie Hotel Rwanda. He used to be amazed that we, Westerners, could not discern or see what he saw very clearly and readily understood with his eyes, with his ears, and with his spiritual discernment, demonic and satanic activity and spiritual warfare. He was even aware of physical manifestations, things that make most of us Southern Baptists very uncomfortable because, after all, we're better practical atheists than we are Christians. And those things just aren't there, right? What other people would call hauntings and ghosts, Yannick knew very clearly as a demonic. And here's what I find interesting. That in a cultural dynamic that is saturated with naturalism, in doubt that 
satanic, demonic, spiritual activity is even real, that that culture will so quickly believe that ghosts and hauntings are real. I wonder if that's a delusion. I wonder if that itself is part of the spiritual war. That the liar and father of lies could take people who don't believe in the supernatural and have them believe in ghosts. Could be. Paul wants the Ephesians and he wants all those who follow Jesus, Three Rivers Community Church, We the Church Rome, every fellowship in Roman Floyd County. He wants us who follow the Lord to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's how this section starts. Be strong in the Lord. It's one of the imperatives. And in the strength of His might. The second imperative, put on the whole armor of God. Why? Do you remember from a few weeks ago? Here's the purpose. That you'd be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So His purpose is that we would stand. That we would stand against the schemes of the devil. So, let's continue to grow. Let's continue to grow in our understanding of, discernment of, the work of the accuser and adversary so that we can stand. And actually fight well. Today we're going to look at verse 13 and verse 18. And they go together. Uh, and so they're, they're pretty vital. We're not going to look at the armor just yet. I'm going to introduce it a little bit. But I want you to see verse 13 and 18 because they're vital to the armor itself. So before we go putting on clunky things we know not about, let's understand what Paul has for us to understand before we put it on. A few matters to consider as we move forward. Before we actually address the armor. So that you can, as you read ahead, be in the know. This is vital. Paul's readers, Gentile readers particularly, the Ephesians, would have no doubt in their mind the understanding of a Roman soldier. But uh, Paul, uh, particularly 1 Thessalonians 5.8, he's cast this description mainly in terms of God's armor. Now, Isaiah chapter 59 verse 17, he's describing the Messiah's armor. And, and so, so the Gentile mind would hear Roman soldier. And often this gets couched in terms of a Roman soldier's armor. But you've got to understand, Paul's worldview isn't Roman. It's Old Testament Judaism. And so, go take a look at some point in time, Isaiah 59, 17, in this description of the Messiah's armor. It's fascinating. Here, in this passage, the Messiah has the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And he has the powerful word with which he strikes judgment. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4 to 5. And so, Paul's... Exhortation here is is to this church that I want you to put on armor, and it's not a Roman soldier's armor. This is God's armor. This is God's gracious provision, and all of this is strengthening Paul's assertion that it is the Lord who gives the necessary armor. Paul's not borrowing from the Roman Empire. Paul is borrowing from the inspired text of Scripture that tells us this is God's armor. This is God's means, and He is producing it and has produced it for you. It's armor that's fashioned by His grace in us, and that's vital. Take note also, if you take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul describes the breastplate as faith. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, he describes the breastplate as righteousness. Here's the point. Note that the metaphors are not rigid. 
the metaphors are not the point. You know my, here, go nerd for a second. This is why we as Christians have to learn to read. The point is not the metaphor. We get caught up in the metaphor, and if you do that, you miss the point. The metaphors are not rigid. The metaphors are there to point us to the truth of what the armor is. And they're not rigid, so don't, don't do the whole the helmet to guard the mind. No, it's not. The helmet is salvation. What are those implications, right? So don't get caught up in the metaphor. They're not rigid. Paul uses them, the Old Testament uses them in different places. Here's kind of wrapping up the, the introduction. All the armor is God's armor. That's what we have to keep in mind. All the armor is God's armor. It's the Messiah's armor. And it's something uniquely fashioned by God in His creature's who love Him and follow and obey Him as a work of the Holy Spirit discipling and growing His followers into the image of the Son in whom we are being grown into. Secondly, in wrapping up this introduction, the armor is not outward. The armor is fashioned in us by grace. It's not something we can put on without the work of the kingdom happening on the inside. In other words, if you're nominal in your walk with Jesus and walking with the Lord really doesn't describe your life, don't expect a reading of this text or some type of witchcraft activity to all of a sudden make you prepare. Reading this passage is not going to protect you. The Bible's not a magical book of incantations at which you read it and all of a sudden little sparklies start happening around you and you've read the right spell and now it's not how this works. The armor is the result of grace applied as we walk worthy. Remember, don't take it out of the context of Paul's instruction in chapter 4. Here's how you Ephesians, here's how you church are to walk worthy of the gospel. Chapter 6 is just the conclusion of all these things we do to walk worthy of the unifying work of Christ. The armor is a result of grace applied as we walk worthy of the gospel. In other words, if you're not doing Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, don't expect Ephesians 6, 10 through 21 to be effective. Does that make sense? If you're grieving the Holy Spirit, right? Chapter 4. Don't expect that the, a, a quick reading of Ephesians chapter 6 is going to get you all armored up. Right? That's not happening. If you're not putting to death the deeds of the body, don't expect my magical reading of Ephesians 6 to armor me up. It's not going to work. The Bible is not witchcraft. Christianity is not witchcraft. So Paul's taught us how to be armored up. This is just the conclusion. This is the sort of no-duh to what he's been teaching. And so therefore, be strong that you can stand against the schemes of the devil... And this armor is fashioned in you by grace, not simply doing three things and all of a sudden now you're armored up with a Roman soldier's armor. Not the point. With that in mind, let's launch into verse 13 and verse 18. Let's see how Paul is preparing us for understanding the armor. 
Verse 13 is going to round out Paul's instruction before putting on the armor. And verse 18 is going to address how we put on the armor. And how we wield the weapon in order to fight well equipped. So that's why they go together. Let me read verse 13 for you. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand, or I'm sorry, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, comma, and having done all to stand firm. And then verse 18. If your translation stops verse 17 with a period and starts verse 18 with a that or some other word, understand, this is where I get play nerd for a few minutes. In, in the original language, this isn't a new sentence. Verse 18 is the continuation of a very long sentence, and it begins with a participle that modifies everything before it, which is why we're going to stick with what's here. So if you're in the ESV, you've got the continuation. You've got the participle in place. If you're in another one, you may not. So just, so I'm reading verse 18, and just, we see my notes, it's like quotation, dot, 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 little, little letter, because it's not a new sentence. Have to do that, sorry. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, verse 13, continuing to prep us for the armor. Verse 18, how we put it on. Alright, so let's start. Point number one. All the armor we need is available to us. That's point number one. All the armor we need is available to us. Listen to Paul's words. The whole armor of God. Not just some pieces, but the language is intentional. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. All that we need is available to us. There is nothing God has withheld. There's absolutely nothing that is out there that we've got to have special permission to get or a secret code or a new book of the Bible or a new book on a bookshelf. If you go read this guy, you'll get rid, you get the armor. No, no. The whole armor of God is completely available to everyone walking by grace through faith in Christ, walking worthy of the gospel. If we are in Christ, who is our head, and we are walking in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace, and there's no wall of division between us, then we have access to everything we need to fight a spiritual war well. Since we're fighting against the enemies of the Spirit world, we need special equipment, both for offense and defense. God has provided the whole armor for us. We dare not omit any part. Now this is key. If He has given us everything we need, then we don't need to omit any of it. But we need all of it. A little statement here. You can see my footnotes. and Go, you can see the notes. Satan looks for that unguarded area where he can get a beachhead. Ephesians 4.27 Looking, looking for those, those places where there's a chink in the armor. So God's provided everything we need, and we dare not neglect any of it. Paul has commanded his readers to put on armor and take weapons and withstand, all of which we do by faith. Father has not failed to give us all we need to fight well. So in Christ, every good gift is available. You know, the Lord Jesus taught us that. Father is good, and He doesn't withhold anything good from His people. So therefore, every piece of armor we need is available to us, fashioned in us by grace, not of our own doing, but available. Number two, 
we must take up the armor. Now, we hit this a few weeks ago when we looked at verse 11 because it's one of the commands. It's, it's, it's finally be strong in the Lord. That's first command. Second command, put on the whole armor of God. So he's commanded us already, put on all the armor. But it's important, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, that it is up to us, it is a responsibility of walking in the discipline of the Lord to put it on. In other words, we must do something, not earning it, don't hear, do not hear, this is us having to earn God's favor, don't hear, this is something we do without God's help, and it's just human, don't hear humanistic, naturalistic junk, okay? Don't hear that. Here, there's a call here for disciplined action. There is a call here for those who are walking worthy of the gospel to do something. So there's a command. Put it on. It doesn't say, sit back, do nothing, and God will just put it on you. There is a responsibility we have here. We must take up the armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor. It's the second time he's given us the command. Now he's repeated it by sheer repetition. Right? He said it twice, commanded it twice. We got. I don't think he means for me to put that on. Exactly. So we must take up the armor. It's command. So if we're to take advantage of the armor, we have to take it up. Now we're going to see in verse 18 how we do that in just a minute. So just be aware. We've got to do something. There's a disciplined action we have to engage in. Number three. And this is where we're going to begin to kind of grind it out for just a few minutes, Okay. Verse 18, we take up the armor by praying and keeping alert in prayer. This is where us naturalists, us practical atheists, are not real happy. Because I I would much prefer a helmet to put on and go, I'm guarded. You you get a little helmet made with some metal and some light bulbs and plug it into the wall. And, you know, little ghostbusters and we ward off. The evil spirits, right? Put put a put a necklace of garlic around my something to ward off the evil, right? You go to our country and you get some into some folk Islam and people got eye black around their eyes. That's because you warding off evil. No, no, it'd be awesome if the Lord said, you know, color your eyes, and you'd be like, yeah, no demon can get me. Doesn't work that way. He tells us in verse eighteen what we need to do. He's given us the command: take on the armor, take it all on. And he's going to tell us what the armor is. And in verse 18, he's going to tell us how to put it on. So if it's command to do it, we know we have to take it up. We know Father's given us everything we need. Then how in the world am I to get armored up? Well, point number three, we take up the armor by praying and keeping alert in prayer. This is where, this is where the participle is important here. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying is a participle that modifies the taking up of the whole armor of God. Now, some translations in verse 17 with a period and verse 18 with an and. Some of them with another word. This leaves too much guesswork. Because you have to, is the and, this is probably more than any of you ever wanted to think about the word and. But it's It's important. Is that and logical or temporal? I'm a teacher. Got to say, you got to get it. Is it logical? Because it matters. Like words matter. Words really matter. They're, they're not meaningless, right? Words matter. So if you're starting a new sentence, is the and logical or temporal? Is it something to be done later, or is it just logical following? Well, if you just leave it alone, let the participle will tell us. 
The participle is modifying how to take up the armor. If you leave it in place, it's going to tell you the means of putting on the armor is through prayer. You see, verse 18 is a treasure trove on prayer as the primary task of spiritual warfare. So I'm going to walk through verse 18, step by step. So, how how do we armor up? First thing he says, praying at all times. Prayer is the means. It's what we have to do to be armored up. So he says, pray always. Pray always. Pray always. Now this obviously does not mean always saying prayers. Because the Lord Jesus has warned us against being like the Gentiles who think your repetition is what works. Matthew 6, 7. It's not my repetition that works. Jesus warned us, don't be like that. They think they'll be heard because they don't shut up. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not contradicting the Lord Jesus. He's told us already in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. What that says to us and what you need to hear is that means always be in communion with the Lord. To quote Warren Wearsby, Keep the receiver off the hook. Saying amen is not hanging up the line. This isn't, this is, this is, I'm trying to decide if this is a Holy Spirit rabbit trail or. Amen does not mean the prayer stops, but that's what we use it for. Amen means so be it. It's a, it's, it's the Bible's way of the holy grunt. You know what we do when we pray? Good Baptist, mm, mm. Mm. You get in the prayer, right? Isn't that right? We we grunt. Mm, 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 yes, right? We do. And the mm is the Southern Baptist way of saying amen. It's it's agreement with, it's affirming, it's saying, so, yes, so be that. It's the agreement in prayer. And so what Paul is telling us is... Stay in communion. Don't don't stop thinking we've stopped and now the Lord's gone. We've conjured Him up a little bit by praying, right? And so now that He's here, now we can stop that and move on. And So help me, I think we practice better witchcraft than we do Christianity. We don't conjure Him with words. Listen, the Bible teaches He is ever-present. And even better, because we've been taught in Ephesians 4, we grieve Him when we sin. He never leaves. This is the the middle-aged church fathers talked about practicing the presence of God. Why? Because He never leaves. Jesus is never absent from you. This is key. This is why He sent Holy Spirit. John 14, read it. If, if, if I go away, it's to your advantage. You know, how is it to our advantage? Because if I go, I will send a counselor to you, and I and the Father will come and make our home with you. Come on. He never leaves. So it's not like we stop communicating. This is Wearsby, this is fantastic. Never have we never have to say when we pray, Lord, we come into your presence. Why? Because he's never left. We're not coming anywhere. He's always in our midst. The Christian must pray always because he's always subject to temptation and attack. So therefore we 
pray at all times. We constantly live in the awareness of and practicing the Spirit's presence and His pleasure or grief over our actions. This is a constant state of being aware. This is why Paul told them, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, meaning we need to be aware when we've grieved Him. Meaning we need to be tuned in. Our soul needs to be... Colossians 3, 1-5, to we've died and our life is hidden with Christ and God, and we are constantly aware of Holy Spirit's presence and His grief or pleasure. Guys, listen, there are no three steps to that. If there were, Paul would have listed them. He just says, don't grieve Him. And he assumes that we understand how to walk in that spiritual realm. And this is weird for us who live in a naturalistic context, because we just we can't get past not seeing it. But there's a sense of discernment. Holy Spirit gives all Christians that we need to be able to tell we've grieved the Holy Spirit by our actions. And my hunch is you know that. You know? He doesn't leave His people alone. That junky feeling you have when you sinned and you know you've sinned is pretty clear. That's probably not coming from your fallen nature. That might be the Lord going, hey, stop it! Okay? And so... Living in this awareness and practicing the Holy Spirit's presence and His pleasure over us or His grief over us. That results in private worship. I'm talking about worship sessions that matter because you can walk in here and this isn't the only time you've sang to Him this week. It works itself out in repentance because we're living in the awareness of His presence. So pray at all times. Communicating like we truly have a good Father who loves us and never leaves us. Second thing Paul says here in verse 18, he tells us to pray with all prayer. It's kind of a funny statement. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit, which we'll get to that in a second, with all prayer and supplication. That's like saying, because supplication is another word for prayer, praying at all times, praying. So he says, prayer with all prayer, praying at all times with prayer and supplication. There's more, and this is totally like, convicting to me personally there's more than one kind of praying there's supplication which is appeal made to god and authority to supplicate means to appeal to god who sits in authority it's an outright confession that i'm powerless and you have all the power prayer by its very nature is a confession that god is powerful we're not so a prayerless christian is a Christian who worships their own sovereignty of God and thinks they actually have power to pull stuff off. Dear saint, we don't. Prayer is a confession. I'm not able, you are. This is why Mueller's life was so powerful. Is because he recognized that all things come from the Father and he's given me this tool of prayer to get ministry done. So therefore, I bow the knee, confess I can't, you can. Lord, would you do this today? That's a powerful life. So supplication. Then intercession. Right? Intercession. It's a good Bible word. It means appeal made on somebody else's behalf. It's, it's praying for others. There's thanksgiving, right? We're told all in Philippians 4, 6, 1 Timothy 2, 1. All kinds of passage. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. In other words, prayer is more than asking for. It is giving thanks for. It's asking for for other people. Meaning we should be constantly practicing the presence of the Lord. Never hanging up. Staying in the presence of the Lord with all prayer and praying. 
This is, this is why we have to learn to listen. Those moments when somebody's name won't get off your mind, that's Holy Spirit going, pray for this person. So pray for them. If you get this sense, I need to call this person, then call them. Praying at all times, with all prayer and supplication. The believer who prays only to ask for things is missing out on the blessings that come with intercession and giving of thanks. As a matter of fact, thanksgiving is a great weapon of prayer and defeating Satan. Satan would have us gluttonously, selfishly seek more when perhaps what we need to do is stop and give thanks for the little that the Lord has graciously given us. You understand we only get what Father graciously gives us and to covet more is to disdain the gift of the Lord. So give thanks. Thank you. You've entrusted me with this little bit. Help me to be faithful with it. And if you want, you can entrust me with more. But I'll be faithful with the little thing you've given me. So we give thanks. We pray for other people. So pray all the time in all kinds of prayer. The third thing he says here in verse 18 and how we put on the armor is pray in the Spirit. The Bible formula is that we pray to the Father through the Son and in the Spirit. Prayer is incredibly Trinitarian. Pray to Father through the mediation of the Son, by the indwelling, powerful influence of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26-27 tells us there are times we don't even know what to pray. And all we can do is just groan before the Lord. You know those deep, dark moments where you can't even formulate words, and you're just grieved, and all you can do is pray and you cry before the Lord? The Bible tells us Holy Spirit can take that and translate that to the Father. And He always prays in accordance with the will of the Father. When you don't know what to pray and all you can do is cry before the Lord, the Holy Spirit knows how to translate that into the Father's will. And what did Jesus tell us happens when we pray in the will of the Father? The Father does it. Why would would there be prayerless Christians? Could it be they're not Christians? See, otherwise, if we don't pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, our praying could be selfish and out of God's will. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, there was a small golden altar standing before the veil, and there was a priest who burned the incense. This incense, we read in Revelation and other places, pictures the prayer of the saints lifting to the Father. It had to be done a specific way, couldn't be counterfeited. There's lots to be said there, and I'll be super careful with that, that I don't allegorize that too much. But the point is this. God has appointed means. And His means... Prayer. All kinds of prayer. Pray. And pray in the Spirit's will. Praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Praying in step with the will of the Holy Spirit. Praying in the discernment of the Holy Spirit. This is learning to tune into the reality of what the Spirit is saying to us. Learning to read our thinking. Now, this is weird for some of us, but check this out. Just a little litmus test. If your thoughts are violating God's Word, chances are they're not coming from the Spirit. Now, to say chances are, you know what I mean. I'm being sarcastic there. If, if your thoughts are violating the truth of God, they're not from the Lord. But if your thoughts are aligned with truth, good for others, good for your joy in the Lord, it could be the Holy Spirit talking to you. Try this. Obey them. Just obey those kind of thoughts. 
And that is when we begin to walk in the power of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Discernment that creates joy. Pray in the assurance that the Spirit may give you something to ask that you didn't know to ask for and then greatly and graciously and thankfully ask for it. And watch God build your faith by answering that prayer. The best way I can illustrate this, and, and I really struggle to find words for this, so this is, this is just, this, here's the best way to do it. For $2.99 on Amazon or ChristianBook.com, go buy George Mueller's journals and just read them. Easy read. They're journal entries. Just go read them. And you will learn by watching his example how to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, the orphans don't have bread for breakfast. You want us to ask you, so, Lord, would you provide bread today? And you tell these crazy stories about the milkman came by and he didn't sell all his milk that day. And the Lord told him to come by and give you all the rest of the milk and bread. Yeah. And you read this guy's life is full of that stuff. Just go read Mueller and you'll figure it out. Then we learn here to pray alertly. Pray alertly. Praying. Verse 17. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end. To the end of prayer. In other words, make it your aim. Put on this armor through prayer. To that end, keep alert. Keep alert. So pray alertly. Sometimes, and some translations translate that pray watching. It's the idea of engaging all your senses. It's the idea of you pray, but you pray paying attention. What's a great example of that? In the garden, Peter and the guys were so just, they were so tired that they couldn't watch. So they just fell asleep on the watch. The idea is stay awake, stay alert, pay attention, pray, engage your mind. Paul talks about this in the book of Corinthians. People have a tendency to get involved in the gifts and they pray with their spirit and disengage their mind. Paul says don't do that. Pray with your mind also. Don't engage your thinking. Pay attention. Look around you. Know your world. Know your surroundings. Know your town. Know what the need is. And come before the Lord fully aware, fully engaged, every sense in the power of the Spirit, calling on the Lord for His purposes. That's keeping alert. It, it, it flies in the face of this idea that Christians should disengage from culture. That we just attend our little Bible study or four, which I've told you quit doing that. need one. And go do something with it. Right? We need to do something with what we know. Right? I can't eat a bag of Oreos. I can have one. Then I go do CrossFit. Right? So, one Bible study. Then go do something with it. Right? So, you know, but you need to be engaged so you know how to be alert and pray. You need to know what's going on. You need to know your culture. You need to know your world. And as you engage your world, you can come and go, Lord, that doesn't match your kingdom. You taught me to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not your kingdom, not your will. So Lord, would you give me daily bread today so I can have strength to go engage and bring your kingdom so your will's done, your name's made great? You can't do that if you're in five Bible studies. Because you're just focused on knowing more stuff. You don't need to know more stuff. You don't engage with what you know. Pray, seek the Lord, seek Him alertly. Know your world. Know your world. Know Roman Floyd County. You know Roman Floyd County. There's a lot to keep us praying about.
Keep me alert. Pray in real time. Pray in real time. Be ready to get to prayer in the second. This is a great thing to do. Don't tell people you'll pray. Will you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray. I'll remember that. Then you walk away. Say, let's pray right now. Let's just go. Let's get it done. Pray alertly. Be ready to engage in prayer at any moment. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. Stay engaged. Keep the antenna up. Expect spiritual struggle. He tells us here in verse 18, keep on praying. He says, pray with all perseverance. It simply means stick to it, don't quit. Jesus taught us this. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. Jesus taught us, verse 8, faith prays. Those who trust don't give up. And he told the parable about the widow. She, she kept going to the unrighteous judge. And the unrighteous judge granted her request because he didn't want to receive a bad reputation. You're going to hit me under the eye. So I'm just going to do what you asked for. And then Jesus says, listen to what the unrighteous judge says. If the unrighteous judge will do what's right, how much more your Father in heaven? So therefore, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Question mark. It's a rhetorical question. In other words, if you believe, you will pray and not stop. Because the Father will do righteousness. So ask me and don't stop asking. So pray. Persevere in prayer. It doesn't mean we're trying to twist God's arm, but rather we're deeply concerned and burdened and can't rest until we get God's answer. Robert Law says it like this, Prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, it's getting God's will done on earth. The title of that book is called Tests of Life. You should go look that up and read it. Finally, pray for all the saints. He says here, making supplication for all the saints. Notice Jesus taught us to pray. He said, our Father in heaven, not my Father in heaven. Think that matters. It's huge. Listen, pray for all the saints. We are part of a great family of God, the community of the kingdom. We ought to pray for its members. Brothers and sisters in harm's way today in, in, in unreached places where the kingdom is birthing and there are new believers and the church is just getting off the ground. We need to be praying for them. If you don't know who they are, go to Voice of the Martyrs and sign up for the free newsletter. Pray for them. Pray for our workers and our unreached people group. You know who they are. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. If you don't know all of them, some of them have lived here with us long enough. You know their name. Pray for them. Don't stop praying for them. Check this out. Email them. Be careful what you say in your email. We've told you that. You know security protocol. Email them. Check in on them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for our foster home. Pray for who the parents are going to be. That the Lord would guide that process. Pray for all of those engaged in the work of the kingdom. Pray for we, the church at Rome. Pray for our brothers and sisters. Pray for all the saints. Pray for each other. Paul tells us here also, and this comes back to verse 13. We know how to put it on, right? Prayer. We just don't like that, right? I just have to confess sometimes. Like, Is it really that easy? Yeah, it's that easy. But can I just like do can I just put some garlic around my neck? No. No. Prayer sometimes is frustrating because we like immediacy. And, and and we're just taught in the Bible that well, the Psalms are replete with wait on the Lord. 
And sometimes prayer requires, I mean, Jesus, why Jesus taught us, pray and don't give up, because sometimes praying requires us to wait. Remember, we looked last week, right, in Daniel? What, what hindered the answer to Daniel's prayer? Michael battling with the prince of Persia. So pray and don't give up. Continue in prayer. And so we've got to pray, we've got to pray, we've got to pray. It's how we put it on. And we come back to verse 13. What does Paul tell us to do here? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We take up the armor so that we can withstand. Taking up the armor is God's appointed means of withstanding. God in His grace can preserve us without us exercising any spiritual discipline at all because He's God. However, just because God can do something doesn't mean He does. God's appointed means of preserving His people are us obeying what He has said. That makes sense. God appoints means. He he appoints methods, and so therefore, he tells us take up the armor so that you can stand. In other words, check this out. It could be if you don't obey what he said, you won't stand. So, although God can preserve a disobedient son, His normal way of preserving us is through us obeying what He said. We know that if we take up the armor, we will. Stand. Because God's armor doesn't fail. The Messiah's armor does not fail. So therefore, pray and take it up. It's His means. And the end is that we would stand firm. That we would walk worthy of this gospel. If the command is to stand, the temptation from the evil one may be to give ground. Take this stuff up so that you can stand. The temptation could be to get you to fall down, or to give up ground. Church, don't give up ground to the world system. Stand in God's kingdom, on God's kingdom truths, and take ground, don't give ground up. Pick your global social issue and stand on the values of the kingdom and defend it to the death, and you will not have wasted your life. David Brainerd, at the age of 29, didn't live a short life. He lived a full life. He lived God's life. God doesn't need 75 years to accomplish the kingdom. Psalm 139, we've got a pointed amount of days. Live them fully for the kingdom. Life well lived. I need to really wrap this up. We learn here in verse 13 as well that Father gives us all the armor we need to take up so that we can withstand an evil day. Ephesians 5.16, we've already studied this. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Revelation 12 reminds us that the dragon is making war on the saints. We're perplexed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned because we are at war. Don't buy the lie. Listen to this carefully. Don't buy the lie that the church is in a state of peace in the West. One scheme of the adversary is to get you to take the kingdom for granted and to be bored by the kingdom due to the constant exposure that we have to ease and comfort. I would argue that ease and comfort is one of Satan's greatest tools. Notice I didn't say the prosperity of the church. And don't hear like Joel Osteen. I mean, I mean the growth of the kingdom of God. The growth of the church is a great gift the Lord gives. And the church can and should, it will prosper. It's the seed, it's the mustard seed that grows into the large tree, right? You, you get that. It's the net that's cast in the water, catches fish of every kind. The church is going to prosper. 
Jesus, however, didn't tell us we should be at ease. Don't confuse the two. The church has historically, we know this, it's in the Bible, it's in the book of Acts, the church prospers under great duress and difficulty. As a matter of fact, we could make the argument that God's means of growing the church is through difficulty. Could it be that ease is a scheme to get us bored with the kingdom and infatuated with the world system that's passing away and that we might build our lives on it and discover at the end of all things that it crumbles? I see this, and it's, I said this yesterday at commencement. I got to, got to speak yesterday at our graduation. And I told our seniors, don't take the kingdom for granted. And I see it, I see it on the faces, and I see it in the body language and posture of people who are just con- constantly exposed to the Bible and the truth. We've got multiple translations. We go to Christian school, we homeschool, we, we do whatever. We go to youth group 23 times a week, and we're just exposed and exposed and exposed. And when the truth gets expounded, we're not excited, but we're looking for entertainment. We look for the guy who says it prettier than the guy who says it uglier. Could it be that the ease and comfort we have to go find truth the way we like it as opposed to the treasure hidden in the field that when he finds it, he sells everything he has and he goes and buys that field because the treasure is better than everything he owns? Could it be that that kind of passion is missing because we've bought ease as opposed to difficulty? Listen, Paul tells us here that the day is evil. We live in a time in which the dragon has been allowed some leash to make war. And could it be that our failure to recognize ease as war is killing us? It's a cancer. Could be. He says, I want you to be able to stand in the evil day. Expect to have to withstand, church. If we engage the Great Commission, we're going to have to withstand. You know that. It's been 12 years of withstanding If you engage in advancing the kingdom, it's work. It's war. So expect to withstand. Don't expect withstanding to be in the form of difficulty here in the West. If you work in hard places, it will be in the form of difficulty. Sometimes we have to withstand the onslaught of ease and the idea that we should be at ease. Ease can cause us to take the kingdom for granted. Ease can cause us to be more leisurely. And leisureliness can arise and cause to arise a myriad of sins, right? What did Peter say? When I've suffered in the body, I'm done with sin. There's something about suffering that me going, I don't want sin no more. I'm good. Jesus, please help. Right? You know when you get stomach virus or you get food poisoning? You've repented as you vomited for the 2700th time. You've repented of every known sin on the face of the planet just in case you contemplated doing it. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Something about suffering causes us to move toward holiness. Leisureliness can cause a myriad of sins to arise. Anybody, am I the only person that knows that? Ease makes me, ease causes me to sin easier. Ease can cause us to become numb to the Father's intended difficulties that show us His power. I said this to my seniors yesterday as they were graduating. You never need the Lord's rescue if you're never out on a limb. 
Could it be I have weak faith because I've never been anywhere where my faith needed to be tested and trust in the Lord to come through where I couldn't come through for myself? Finally, so we're going to close. Worship is a way for us to voice our thanksgiving and our request to the Father and thus bring the war to the adversary. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but good Christian music sounds like praying with song. It, it, it often sounds like, and don't, I don't want to talk about the entertainment industry, Christian music. I mean like worship stuff, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? It, it sounds like us declaring the truth about God, and it sounds like us asking God for God's things. You ever notice that? Hey, if you hadn't, pay attention today. Because this is an opportunity in song to declare back to God what we know truth is and, and, and thus reflect glory and to ask for kingdom things in song. And so Psalm 147.1, you're getting used to this mantra, right? Praise the Lord! Exclamation point. That's, that's, that's the psalmist screaming. Praise the Lord! Praise Him! Praise Him! For it's good to sing praises to our God. It's good to pray in song. It's good to reflect back to Him. His glories in song. For it's pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. It's fitting. In other words, it's right to sing back to Him His glories and our requests. So, would you do that? As we come to a time to respond to the Lord and what He has said to us this morning in song and in praise, would you just reflect back to Him glory and ask Him for these kingdom things and believe that His will will be done on this earth as it's done in heaven? Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, for Your glory and our joy, we pray that You would do a a work of grace in our hearts this morning and help us to engage in the war. Holy Spirit, I pray You conquer any idea or belief in this room that stands contrary to your kingdom. Any barrier that's in the way, any unbelief, any, anything that stands in the way of your people making much of you, would you crush it as a good gift to us? Sometimes we need our toys busted up. And so I pray you bust up anything that keeps us from making much of you, please. Because it would be good for us. But I pray that you would cause your people to take delight in you today. Cause your people to enjoy you today. Cause your people to reflect glory. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak clearly and articulately to the hearts and souls of your people today. That you would instruct and teach. You would counsel. That you would heal hurts and wounds. And that you would call into salvation some perhaps who, who are dead in their transgressions and sins. Would you regenerate them, birth them into your kingdom? Grow us into Christ who is our head. Would you do all these beautiful things? Would you cause the evil one to flee, the adversary to flee? And would you let us taste the victory of you conquering today in Jesus' name?